Welcome to A Savored Life, a podcast that inspires you to live a more fulfilled life with mindful writing, intuitive cooking, and creative inspiration. I'm Sumaya Osmani, your host, and I'm here to help you on the path to a slower, more savored life. Each episode is filled with creative expression, freeing our preconceived ideas that hold us back from fulfilling our true potential. And that begins with allowing ourselves to trust our instinct to achieve creative fulfillment. In today's episode, I'm joined by author Catherine Alto. For the last 25 years, Catherine's creative practice has fused nature and culture, teaching the literature of nature and place, designing beautiful and sustainable gardens, and writing about the natural world. Based in England, Catherine teaches live online writing courses, mentors writers, and leads writing retreats in England and the United States. Welcome, Catherine. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Thank you. I'm likewise happy to be with you. So I love your writing because I think that what I love the most about your writing is the fact that you have this wonderful way of combining personal essay with the natural world around us, as well as tell beautiful stories about other people and yourself. And I think how you do it is really natural. So I would love to begin actually knowing a little bit about how you came to do what you do. Right. Well, I grew up in the Central Valley of California. Um, it's between the Bay Area, San Francisco, and the mountains. Um, and uh, it's, I was really curious what came before all the nut trees and the peach trees and the cornfields and so forth. Um, and the right angled roads. Um, and so I um, was really interested in natural history kind of from the beginning. My father was a garden designer and he taught agriculture at the high school level. Um, so I kind of have my father's green eyes and his green thumb actually. <laughs> um, but when I went to university, um, I was one of my very first um, upper division classes was in English was called the art of the personal essay. And for a long time, I, I wanted to be a journalist uh, writing about something to do with maybe agriculture or nature, uh, but I also love traveling too. So I ended up taking that course and falling in love with this short form, the essay. Um, and if you could get everything in it, um, they're just rich literary gems. Um, and so I moved slightly away from journalism um, to really become an essayist, uh, which is a form of journalism. I would say it's kind of, I don't want to, well, I would say maybe literary journalism. Um, and we we can feel, we can put ourselves in the narrative um, because we're kind of like characters. Um, the personal essay is quite different than the formal essay. Um, and I like to liken it to, you know, a, a formal essay is like a, a three-piece suit and a personal essay is like torn trousers or jeans. Uh, it's very <laughs> honest and accessible uh, um, and maybe confessional and really versatile too. So. I think of myself really as an essayist and, and they just get a little long and then they form chapters and books. 
Yeah, no, and I think what's beautiful about the personal essay is the relatability and how you don't really cut off the reader. You bring them into a, a way of, you know, the story or the essay, res, you know, resonating with them. And that's quite different from formal writing because it's not, it can be sometimes, it can sometimes keep the reader out. But I think, you know, the engaging way that a personal essay is written is definitely a, a, an easier read and, and a more immersive read. Absolutely. And I like the idea of having presence in the narrative. Um, mm -hmm. I like essays where I feel the writer's sensibilities and character and, uh, you know, this uh, overt lack of objectivity. Um, you can be uh, confessional and you can be honest and you can be, there isn't this distance. So, in fact, um, the history of the personal essay goes back to 16th century France when um, uh, this uh, writer named Michel de Montaigne um, began writing letters to one of his friends who had recently died, which sounds a little morbid, but it, but it was his way of keeping in touch because mm -hmm. they used to have like weekly lunches. And um, from there, um, the essays became more and more personal. And, uh, and then once they leapt over the pond, um, the early writings for The Spectator and, um, uh, and, uh, and some other magazine in England in the uh, 18th century were, um, you know, early essays. And um, so, and then eventually, you know, it moved over to the, to the United States too. So, you know, a personal essayist can have essay collections and, you know, it's a, it's a proper, proper literary genre and I'm pr yeah. darn proud of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I love it. Uh, that's brilliant. And talking about jumping across the pond, how did you land up in England from this wonderful valley of California? <laughs> yeah, you know, people ask me all the time, you hear my accent and they, and they find out where I'm from and I say California and they say, well, they look at me like I'm, like I'm crazy. Like, why are you? <laughs> Why are you here in Devon? Uh, <laughs> and my view is that Devon is is stunning. But mm -hmm. um, so my partner and I moved here 15 years ago. He's a professor at the University of Exeter, um, mm -hmm. and uh, we moved here with our then three young children who were about uh, four, seven, and uh, ten, um, and now they're 19. Uh, 23 and 25. Um, wow. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, so we moved here because of that. So I've, I've lived here 15 years. Um, and I, I really love it here. I think uh, people have really romanticized versions of both countries. Uh, you know, a, a, a British folk I've encountered like to romanticize California. Uh, yeah. It's a great place, but, you know, it's got its issues and people like to, Americans like to uh, romanticize England. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like to think there's truth somewhere in the middle. And what I love about it is, um, is um, we don't seem to have too many wildfires and too many earthquakes and too yeah. many floods and, uh, and uh, we can walk here. So all of my writing has, has been, uh, well, I always loved walking in the U.S. as much as I can, but we don't have this ancient network of public footpaths that, yeah. that we do here in England. And it's absolutely a revelation to walk on an ancient drover's path or through uh, Roman ruins or, or around Roman ruins or, you know, through a, a, a Bronze Age stone circle near me in Dartmoor. Um, so to me, uh, to me, because I, I can walk everywhere, England feels almost bigger than 
California. I mean, England can fit in the bottom half of my <laughs> home state, but it just feels more accessible um, because because I can walk here and I can see things and it's not like I need a car everywhere and private property. We still have private property issues here, but it's yeah. not like in the U.S. where there's gun culture and all that. So I, yeah. I really, really, um, I'm temperamentally quite suited to... Um, sort of this, this uh, you know, a romantic way of moving through the world on foot. Absolutely. And I think what you, you know, the sort of writing and the inspiration you find with your work, England does suit it. And, and I generally, the whole of the United Kingdom does because, you know, there's, I, I live in Scotland and, and, you know, I'm very lucky to be here. And I think I sometimes take it for granted. And a lot of people ask me similar thing, you know, so you grew up in Pakistan in this warm climate. What on earth are you, you lived in London, which was definitely warmer than Scotland. What on earth are you doing in Scotland? And to me, it, I actually find such inspiration in the freedom of no matter how cold it is, you can walk on the coastal parts in Fife and find change of seasons, you know, watch the sea, freezing cold water if you really want to jump in it, which I did last weekend. <laughs> and, and, you know, so all these kind of things that give you this ability to touch, feel and experience the change of seasons uh, in the most incredibly natural way. And I think that's something that I really love about your writing as well, is that you really bring this connection of your creative writing your creative nonfiction with being able to find uh, how you view the world, how you see the world changing. And uh, one thing I really loved about your book, or one of your books called Writing Wild, was how you then talked about all these women that did something very similar in in their creative space. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that whole connection with nature and creativity and how somehow, I mean, I know there's a lot of men out there do some write beautifully about nature, but what is this beautiful connection with women, nature and creativity and how does it affect your life or how do you express it? Well, that's a really big question. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> very, very, very big question that, um, so I, I don't actually know if there are innate differences between how men and women um, write about the natural world. I've been, I've been asked that question a few rough, in different ways since I wrote Writing Wild. Um, you know, and the reason I, I'm, I say that is because, you know, men have had a history of, um, like in the United States, of John Muir, for example, from Scotland. Mm -hmm. Um, helped create the National Park Service, which preserved millions and millions of acres of wilderness. Um, so you could say that, you know, he was maybe patern maternal, like he was he was yeah. uh, setting aside land and and um, making sure that it was protected in a in, in a way that women could do. But I'm I'm highly aware that there are lots of you can be maternal despite your gender. Of course. Um, yeah, and so I've kind of um, thought of, thought a bit about that, and and I would say that um, I mean historically men have been able to write more than women for lot well for for probably well four or five reasons. I think the first is um, men have been able, well women have not been able to walk without the chaperone of men. Yeah. Um, so brothers, uh, husbands, uh, fathers, and so forth, or else we would uh, suffer from what's called, you know, what, what was deemed a long time ago, reputational anxiety. Um, yeah. 
you know, so to, for a solo woman to be out uh, was was um, kind of setting herself up for uh, being attacked or or whatever. So some women have uh, we've had that. We had a um, you know we we couldn't go to university until um, you know fairly recently. So um, and I would say that you know women working. Um, in writing, for example, you know, men have always been able to do it, but uh, I would say less so for women who couldn't have access to publishers who were, you know, male-dominated, really white male-dominated uh, publishers, um, and then also just using the first person I, uh, which is a hallmark of the personal essay. Um, yep. It's been um, harder for women, um, and and they used to be ridiculed as sort of dame scribblers and. Um, <laughs> They weren't taken for, you know, seriously, whereas as I write in Writing Wild, you know, someone like Henry David Thoreau was able, who wrote, uh, he's considered the uh, father of environmentalism in the United States. He used if, uh, the word I, mm -hmm. he just peppered it throughout his, his writing. And, and for that reason, there's a real zest to it. Yeah. So a lot of people think that... Um, uh, uh, that um, he is the sort of father of America, that he was America's first nature writer. And in fact, it was Susan Fenimore Cooper. That, and I know you know that from reading Writing Wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so so I, um, I, I think that it's, it's the degree to which people you feel comfortable writing the personal essay. I think that can really, men or women, that can really um, help people um, have, I would say, uh, uh, a closer feeling relationship, uh, or readers can feel a, a closer relationship with them. Yeah. Um, it can make their ideas more accessible and so forth. So whether or not men or, or women feel a closer connection to the natural world because we give birth, um, I don't know. I, I actually, I'm, you know, I've had a lot of time to think about that and I'm still on the fence. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, you know, I, and I, I think in this age, I, I'm, uh, I'm somewhat loath to, to label groups like that. And I, so it, it's a question I'm still working on. So I'm going to give you a tentative answer. <laughs> no, but I think you're right. Because I think that there is, I think something you said right in the beginning of this was that there is a maternal side of it all uh, because of that sort of, you know, that sort of protectiveness that women have and, and, and the way that which they view the world. It doesn't make, it doesn't mean that men can't also do that. And I think that's the beauty of this art form of writing is that, you know, whoever, whoever's writing, whether it's a man or a woman or whoever, they're bringing that very protective nature to it because you know you're trying to hold on to you know especially with the world as it is now and and the way that the environment is suffering it's it's that doesn't matter whether they're men or women it's just about protecting this beauty that we have that is ever-changing and definitely ever-changing quite a lot more than we expect it to now with with you know with all the issues with climate change but other than that it's just about pre preservation and I think that, you know, the more people write about it, the more we connect with it, which is something I think, you know, over the generations, we have lost that connection. And and I saw this week, actually, I went to an incredible uh, exhibition in Edinburgh, which was, you know, it wasn't writing, but it was about women photographers and filmmakers in the early 20th century. And it was all about how they were able to view Scotland's rural and natural life. And they, you know, they showed nature and landscape and travel in a very different way than a lot of men, you know, men photographers would in those days because women weren't really allowed to do very much of this. And it really made me realize that 
women see things so differently, but yet they don't always get a chance to show the way they see it. And and that is something that I really found quite interesting in this exhibition. exhibition. And it, it's quite different from, you know, obviously nature writing, but it is about, you know, showing something that is visual and is is artistic, but it's also something that we try to preserve. So really, I think you're good to be on the fence because it's a really hard distinction. Um, everyone does things so differently. And I think we want to just have to look at people as, as artists, not yeah, what gender they are. Exactly. I, I tend to just look at the artwork. Yeah. Um, and if I don't know, you know, uh, the gender, uh, then I'm, 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 I'm fine with that. All, yeah. To be honest. Um, and, um, so I, I really look at, uh, um, well, I, well, just to go back to something you were saying, it, it is about protection, but I also think what, what writing allows us to do is, is be empathetic. So for yeah. example, you know, if we're, uh, and, and if we're out, walking and we interview somebody, you know, it's, it's occupying somebody else's perspective. Um, it is, and also, and I extend it, that to the greater than human world as well, you know, these days we need to occupy the experiences of plants and animals. And um, so it's not just um, people who are characters, but in our nature writing, but, but, but if we can occupy, what about the perspective of a, you know, mushroom or, or or what I mean is that what, what is this plant experiencing now? And how can I, uh, 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 do my part to help it fulfill its potential, you know, or live its best life. Or, I mean, I would say one of the big questions that nature writers have is, is how best to live in this world. Not how best can I live in this world, mm-hmm. but how best to live in this world. Um, and so I, I like to think of that as uh, applied to human life, but also, you know, greater than human life. And, um, you know, and I, and for that, for that reason, I think nature writing is probably one of the most important genres right now. We need, we need really good storytellers to Mm -hmm. occupy these different perspectives. And we need to move the hearts and minds of, of, of policymakers. And, and we need to hear the stories of scientists who are doing this work to bring the facts in. And we need personal essayists to make that writing accessible and to, and narrative nonfiction writers to, um, to bring these uh, perspectives to life in engaging storytelling. You know, I'm, I'm still waiting for that person uh, <laughs> to come forward and, and be the, uh, you know, the, this, the voice of an, a generation uh, yeah. for the natural world. I mean, you know, we have different voices here in the UK and British nature writing, um, uh, which is truly in a, a renaissance right now and, and in some ways ahead of the United States. Um, but I'm, I'm, so storytellers are really important and knowing how to, uh, to st- storytell for me, it starts with the personal essay because you're bringing yeah. all these techniques into short form. Um, and they can, personal essays can be, uh, magazine articles. They can help podcasters. They can help, yeah. um, garden writers, people who want to go into nature, travel, memoir, um, yeah. you know, so there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, and and actually this brings me to a question that, you know, so if there's someone out there who really wants to write this sort of genre of nature writing, but also bringing in the beauty of nature into writing and using it as an inspiration to tell whether it's a personal essay or a memoir or even just, you know, maybe just a very clean sort of essay about an ingredient or or say a, a, you know something a plant how and how does what is what do you do to begin writing like this what are the kind of key I know because it's a there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who really are aspiring writers and they want to find a niche in, in the writing world where they could really hone in and you know they probably have a passion for nature writing but they don't know where to start and how do you talk about this and where do you begin yeah. Okay. So every, that's a great question. So, and I'd love to answer it. So I would say everything I'm going to say can be applied to food writing, which is poor, which could be nature writing. A lot of these, uh, the, the, the genres or the subjects, um, there's some fluidity between them, mm-hmm. uh, isn't there? Um, but, um, so, uh, memoir, travel writing, nature writing, um, and, and so forth can, uh, can use all these techniques. So I would say, that there's a lot of, there are some people who start writing at the keyboard. They take out their keyboard, their computer, and they start writing full paragraphs. Mm -hmm. And I would say that is a technique for experienced writers. But for emerging writers, there's what's called the the generative phase, the pre-writing phase, where you don't go near a keyboard for quite some time. Um, Pardon me. So, uh, for example, right now I'm teaching... uh, a group of nature writers from all over the world, people come into my online classes. And so um, what I've said to them is, their assignment is to, um, to first off, set aside a designated writing place, a place where you can dream and open up your journal. It doesn't need to be every day, but I think uh, it's really good to develop habits of mind and your mind will come to anticipate uh, that time that you're giving it. So. I would say for me, I'm an early, I'm a morning lark, mm-hmm. so I have my morning a time, and um, you know it's a opening up a journal and and uh, a writing. Um, so I would say uh, having a designated place and a designated writing time. But then you're thinking, well, what do I write about? Um, mm-hmm. So if you're going to be a, if you want to write about the natural world or uh, a, a food, I would say nature writing and, and food writing can be quite different because food writing often involves memories. It's very sensual with um, 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 smell and taste. So that taste component isn't as strong in nature writing. Of course, it can be, but we're really and we're, we're really about. Um, it's a slightly different focus. Um, yeah. So for nature writers, you know say you want to you want to write about a particular place let's say your garden where you grow vegetables or something um spend time in that place you know begin describing it on a couple of different levels outer levels what do you see where's the sun uh, what's growing there how did these plants come to be there um what's watch the cycles you know classic nature writing is is watching a place change through the seasons mm-hmm. but it's not just about outer landscapes it's how our inner landscapes intersect with a place and with an outer landscape. Um, and so it's about feeling too. Um, it could be backstories of travel writing. The best, sorry, the best nature writing really is, is really good creative or narrative nonfiction. Um, yeah. and in that way, um, uh, there's, 
you're present in the narrative, there are characters, you have internal monologue and dialogue, there's research involved, we pay attention to language, which feeds into voice. Um, and so, you know, we make a million micro decisions as writers uh, uh, before we even start writing. Um, there's a lot, so there's a lot that happens before we, we should go to a keyboard. Um, yeah. So I would say um, there's, if you, if you uh, think about creating an intentionality to your writing and knowing, don't just don't just leap to the keyboard. Yeah. Think about generating and making connections and, and mind mapping and let visual thinking happen on a blank notebook. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, um, you might begin to think about narrative arc, you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end to a story. Um, and, uh, and then you b begin creating scenes, you know, uh, which are, it's basically show, don't tell. Um, and, uh, sh and showing something is, is, is a whole different lecture. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> teach people how to do that. But, but I love to do that. And I love to do it myself. Um, so in so the so what I do as a writer is I I research a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. I research and research and research. And then eventually, I know that there will be a, uh, a spine that forms that I, I innately know that there's going to be a beginning, a, a narrative arc, that there's a beginning and an end. Um, and I know that I'm usually in the narrative. Mm -hmm. How can I speak to the a reader in a way that's not uh, that that brings them in. Um, so I'm quite I'm I, I think I bring some humor in. Mm -hmm. um, I don't preach at my readers uh, when I do talk about uh, history or research or I'm talking about the natural history. Um, I do it in a voice that still sounds personable. And yeah. sometimes beginning writers will. Um, will flip, their voices are quite different and it almost sounds academic and so i help people sort of uh, uh blur that line and make it less of a dr falling off a cliff um yeah yeah so there's a there are a million micro decisions that go into it and um and i and uh, i love doing it as a working writer and i and i certainly love helping people uh, grow as writers too yeah, absolutely love that. And and I, I have a feeling that, you know, I feel the same way about when I try to teach anybody or help somebody or guide them along is to take. I love how you started was like, just make the space because space is so important because it's literally, literally ritualistic because if you create that space then it, you give importance to the craft you give importance to your act of sitting down with the journal to even begin writing your thoughts and I think that is where you started off this this answer to this question was absolutely brilliant um, and I think it will really help people to sort of think about how to approach this and and one of the things is one one thing I that I really think about when I think about any nature writing is you know one thing that I love about uh, writers who write this genre is how they bring the human experience into it with the nature always having you know sort of like the front seat but the back seat is always that human experience that you can hear that you can feel that you can really walk through with it and and what is that art of like bringing the human experience into it how how does one do that is it you know do you always have to think about it or is it just something that happens while you write well, I think another good question. Um, I think um, I think I think one needs to understand the science of storytelling. So, mm -hmm. in storytelling, um, it is another human is reading it. A plant isn't going to read your story. Uh, it, you are making art, which is 
artificial, it's this artifice to it, it's, it's art. Um, and so just because something happened or was experienced doesn't mean you can put it in a chronologically correct uh, you know, a story, and, and, and that story will then be engaging. So it's remembering that in order to uh, write, make a good story, you have to understand that humans are reading it, and we want to know um, what happened. We, we're very curious about, so what happened? So, like, um, we need to add, uh, for example, maybe a question that we're are we on a quest? Mm -hmm. Well, the reader wants to know, well, how are they going to get there? Um, and it needs to be, so if, I think if, if people under, and that's a whole, again, a whole different um, <laughs> genre uh, or conversation. And uh, Will Storr, uh, S-T-O-R-R -R is his surname, mm -hmm. wrote a book called The Science of Storytelling. And it's my favorite book of all time on on how to, how to create a story um, and why we love storytelling. We are storytelling creatures. Mm -hmm. And I think some nature writers who don't understand story yet, yet um, will, will convey information more. And, and that's not storytelling. Um, so for example, one reason why H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald uh, won so many awards, uh, awards about eight years ago was that uh, well, she's a poet at heart, so the language was beautiful. You just mm -hmm. fell in love with the language. And also there was a dramatic event that happens in, in it. Um, and we want to know how did she turn out? How did she get through this? Um, and then she has also a parallel narrative about some other person who's, who's training, uh, who had trained a, a goshawk. And his experience was very different from hers. Um, and so to, so underneath all of that was the question, um, you know, how did, how did it all turn out? And she, she, she does convey information about Gossock. She does convey information about, um, T.H. White, this other author that she writes about. Um, but at the same time, we want to know how did Helen turn out? And it's because she is, she's right there on the page. So this, uh, I think a lot of, um, people who are not used yet to writing a personal essay are afraid they need to unlearn that um, it's wrong to put themselves in the narrative. And I teach mm -hmm. about a third of my students are university professors who are trying to, uh, you know, climb the castle wall, get over that castle <laughs> wall and to write creative nonfiction uh, to reach a broader audience instead of just writing for the academy, which, you know, 200 people might read a paper that they've written. Uh, what about, what about 200,000 or, or more, you know, so mm -hmm. people... And it takes a lot of training to uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these students will, will take my my courses. You know, I've got to thank really happily I have a high retention rate because one course usually isn't enough. They they need to really take a while to learn these things. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I would say, you know, storytelling is, is is a key component, understanding that it's not just conveying information about a plant or an animal, but actually it's weaving the personal and the uh, and uh, and other research facts and that kind of thing and knowing how to do it in a way exactly. that the question what happened yeah absolutely and I think another thing that 
you know, one probably doesn't realize, but nature writing is one of the most beautiful genres that does set up a sense of place and time. And I think that, you know, when you write, especially when, you know, because I write a lot about back home in Pakistan and, people, you know, so many people would never have gone there or ever have any intention to go. But it's a very fascinating place with a lot of history. And to really describe it, you know, you do need to explain or not explain rather, but tell the story of what it is physically as in the sense of time and place and nature and what grows there. And I think that it's a great, even if you don't want to take up nature writing, it is a great uh, genre to explore and write about and learn how to write about because I think it gives any sort of creative nonfiction or even fiction writing that you're writing about a place that's unknown. It gives a lot of layered way of you know, access, making accessible to people to understand where the space is, you know, transporting them there. So yeah. would, would you say that? And how does one? So if you want to just write any kind of writing, but you want to learn that ability to set up sense of place and, and time, would you would you say that nature writing is a good way to begin? Well, yeah, nature writing, a sense of place. I love that you're mentioning this right now because sense of place is really at the heart of nature writing. And when I was many decades ago, um, I, I created my own definition of, of sense of place because I used to teach American literature of nature and place and I teach mm -hmm. nature writing now and do it now. But at the heart of, of all of that uh, from the past up right up to now is this definition I created of sense of place. So I would say... And this gives people a lot of permission. Once people hear this, they're like, oh, okay, that's what it is. Um, so sense of place is that invisible layer of memories and history and emotion that cover a physical landscape, wherever it is, with this invisible strata. And once we understand that it's okay for people want to know our sense of place. So reading your writing about Pakistan, I want to know your perspective. I want to know, I want to know what happened there uh, uh, for you personally, your family history, as well as migrations of people um, and um, what formed the landscape too, you know, so mm -hmm. sense of place. It can be, can go back you know, for me in the United States, it would be, you know, the indigenous people who used to live in different areas and who still do, you know, or it could be um, how a river is meandering across a floodplain. It could be um, my, uh, whenever I think of my grandparents and I think of orange blossoms, my, my, uh, they had a be big, beautiful orange tree that grew outside my mother's childhood bedroom. And um, so, you know, and lilacs, I always remember my grandparents in lilac season. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is sense of place. It's our own sense of place. So you can, def so that once people hear that, they go, and then we read a lot of nature writing with writers bringing that in, um, then that's what makes, uh, that's what really, then people get it. A light bulb goes off and they, they yeah. think, okay, I have permission to do this. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that uh, definition that you have coined. And, and it's, it's, you know, it is like a permission. It's an invitation, a permission that, you know, they can do this. And, and I think that a lot of people find, you know, I myself as a writer sometimes find that, oh, I can't cross over to the nature writing genre because that's not my genre. But actually it is because I write about food, but I also write about, the, you know, personal stories and memories and flavors and 
place that I grew up and that sense of place and time that I grew up in that people don't know about. So actually, in many ways, I am bringing the natural world into my writing. So it's about then I want to like now I personally do after listening to you want to explore it even deeper, because I think that there's I'm missing I'm missing the a ticket here because there is a lot more description than I gave. And something that I really like what you said was, you know, the migration of people. And for me, uh, when I think of Pakistan, I think of a country that, you know, that was artificially created in 1947. It didn't exist it was all India and and it what is it that people felt when they you know were, were scooped out of an area in India that they always lived coming to this part of India that they would never have even come to on holiday and this they have to make it home and how did they you know how did they fit into this natural world because it was so different for them and what did they see and feel as you know because of the place that they were in and that obviously means the natural world around them um, yeah. and now you've given me ideas for books. <laughs> well, you know, this, yeah, great, great. Let's, <laughs> let's bounce off each other. Let's create lots of ideas. But um, absolutely, you know, uh, you know, we are, a, sometimes uh, people forget that we are part of the natural world, that we are not, yeah. uh, that we're, we're part of it and how we move around and how we perceive things and how we, um, you know, how this modern life is often not, uh, you know, um, you know, it's causing mental illnesses, it's making people mm-hmm. not well, and actually realizing the time that we're in, I, I would say, um, you know, I, I, I profile this, this writer, and her, her particular book is really important. Her name is Carolyn Merchant. She mm-hmm. was one of my old professors at Berkeley. She's probably one of the most, um, uh, important writers of environmental history. And she wrote a, a, an absolutely pivotal book called The Death of Nature. And it's about how um, the industrial, well, the scientific revolution was the beginning of our separation from the natural world um, because through engineering, we began to control nature and see ourselves not as a part of it as we used to. Um, yeah. And that um, eventually cut off our sense of uh, a actually female-centered cosmos. Uh, and um, it's a, I would say if anyone wants to, listening wants to start with any book, I would say start with The Death of Nature because she she kind of, as I wrote in the in Writing Wild, um, while all of my essays are about individual trees in the forest, she writes, at, like the women, um, she writes about how the forest itself came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get that, it, once you read that book, it really changes your perspective and um, uh, that you understand that, you know, where we are in this amazing time period. And you begin to think, you know, we're all we're all connected. We're part of this uh, uh, and that this age of agriculture that we're in right now is relatively new to our species uh, and that it just makes you think um, on a, in, a, in a much broader time scale, you know, um, but like you, but, but I also wanted to, to address um, that, like you said, that, um, you know, that there is this fluidity between nature writing, food writing, travel writing. In fact, in my narrative nonfiction courses, I teach one unit on nature writing that follows na- travel writing. And then people love the food writing section. <laughs> uh, you know, everyone loves, but because by that time they've gotten some skills built up and then they see that food writing uh, is really travel writing like you do, yeah. you know, and then um, nature writing because food is part of the natural world. Um, 
mostly. <laughs> um, yeah, mostly. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and um, yeah, so it's all connected. Uh, but, you know, uh, we can turn up the dial a little bit more on nature if we're a nature writer and a little bit more on travel or memoir, you know, it, mm -hmm. it involves all of that. So I try not to to um, have too many boundaries between the, the subject matters, but we all, yeah. But, but personal essay draws it all together, I would say. Yeah, it does, it does. It's, that's fascinating. I really, really enjoyed that chat. That was brilliant, um, Catherine. I really, this was, it was lovely because I think we covered so many things on the whole, it's so much bigger and broader than one thinks when you come to think about that nature and writing. So I think that was really, I think a lot of people will find that really helpful. So. So I'd love to know, before we end, what are you working on at the moment as in your writing projects? Anything that you can share? Well, I, ha I have probably two and a half projects going right now. And, and part of the rule is, um, is that you, don't, you talk about it and then it jinxes it. But um, <laughs> I would say uh, one is a potential uh, natural history of a particular food that I'm considering about mm -hmm. a particular a particular thing um, and that we that we all use um, but nothing's been written on it according to my um, literary agent he said mm -hmm. you need to write about this so I'm, I, I have to keep that under the wrap under wraps um, but I'm actually also considering uh, venturing into a full-blown memoir about mm -hmm. um, moving to uh, to Devon from uh, my my I had a lovely farm in Washington State and it's about my it was very very difficult to leave so it's a memoir but it's also about change and migration and adaptation and I'm following um, the Thames River path as a as sort of the narrative that's the narrative arc of the story hopefully mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of motifs that I can bring in from um, from uh, from from the river and the natural world so it involves travel it involves nature um, not food yet, but mm -hmm. most likely I'll, I'll venture into a little, little bit of that, but it's a minor, minor, minor character in this, uh, in this. Yeah. So, and then, um, you know, uh, essays, I'm just working on uh, standalone essays too, but yeah, that's where I am. That sounds fascinating. Can't wait to, can't wait to read the next thing that you write. So thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, yeah, and thank you very much for being with us. I appreciate it. It's a great way to spend my time. Thank you so much. So I hope you found that chat with Catherine inspiring and really helpful for all you nature lovers and people who want to write about the natural world and otherwise as we learned from Catherine. Now if you're looking to harness your creative energy intuitively, my monthly membership Pakissa is going to launch later this year, but in the meantime if you're looking to really work on that writer's voice, then my 21-day email course Wordsmith opens very soon. And in there, you would be working with me every single day. I'll be sending you an email with a little bit of inspiration and writing tasks to help you unearth your writer's creative voice. So if you'd love to join the waitlist for that, the link is below this podcast. Finally, I would love it if you could rate and review this podcast on your podcast platform if you enjoyed it. It helps me reach those people who might benefit from it. So until next time, thanks so much for listening to A Savored Life with me, Sumaya. And until then, choose a slower life, choose a savored life.